Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Every episode, we listen to and learn from people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here are your hosts, Asha Davis, Strategy Director, and Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Joy Altamari. Joy is the Chief Marketing Officer at EHE Health, an industry leader in health and prevention for over 100 years. Joy is an advocate for health, education, and equality for healthcare. So Joy, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you. Hi, Rob. Hi, Asha. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Very good. All right. So we just read a little bit about healthcare, equality, COVID-19, vaccines and recovery. (laughs) This kind of feels like your moment. I know. Actually, this is the most important time to be in healthcare. I'm shocked that all of those things kind of intersected at this one time. But yeah, it is. It's EHE's health moment because we have always talked about prevention. We've always talked about equality and really equitable health care in the employer sector. So yeah, we're, we're exhausted. We've been working nonstop. I, I kept telling people we're like the Ben and Jerry's of healthcare. We've been working <laughs> nonstop since we shut down for two months. But then after that, we were all back in the office or in our clinics working nonstop, trying to figure out ways to, again, disrupt healthcare in a crisis and bring not only preventive, but solutions around COVID to all of our patients. So yeah, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Ben and Jerry's of healthcare. I like that. I think that's should... I mean, that's what happens when you bring a non-healthcare marketer into healthcare. We're always coming up with ways to make people understand what we what we're doing. And yeah, yeah I've been the Ben and Jerry's of healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Put that on a t-shirt. I, yes. I'll sign up. <laughs> There's an old saying that goes, health is wealth, which I'm sure you, you've you heard. And, you know, obviously we've talked a little bit about this, you know, the ongoing pandemic has really caused us all to be even more aware of the importance of our current health, as well as obviously our ongoing health, right? And EHE Health is a company that really specializes in preventive health care. That's kind of right on the homepage when you go to your website, right? And so especially in these times, you know, we know from learning more each day about COVID-19 that some of those key risk factors and quote unquote comorbidities associated with it are related to lifestyle, whether it's diet, exercise, you know, obviously smoking is a risk factor as well. Tell us a little bit more about kind of the impact that the pandemic has had on your business and also why preventive care is so important. Yeah, that's great. I love that. That's a big, healthy question. So, (laughs) you know, EAG's always been a company that's focused on prevention. And I think when the Affordable Care Act was passed, employers had to kind of set up and talk about prevention differently. And we have been huge advocates around making sure people understand that if you are an American employee in this country and you especially work for a self-insured employer, prevention is free for you. Most healthy people, quote, healthy people before COVID, they would go and see their primary care provider for a 20 minute visit. And then they would kind of curate their own system of how to stay healthy, either supplement, a therapist, a trainer. I was in that camp. I have an acupuncturist. I have a trainer, I have a nutritionist. 
The thing that the Affordable Care Act affords all of us is that those things should be free. I shouldn't be spending out of pocket. I shouldn't be using my FSA to supplement to pay for those things. And what EEG Health does and what we've done for over 100 years is that we curate that space for all of our patients. So I think it's important to understand that that is what's owed to everyone. That's equitable health care. But most employers give you this big fat document that says, here are all the benefits and here are what we recommend. Who is the time to navigate that? No right. one. So not only do we start with the preventive base exam, and we really do believe in the U.S. Preventive Task Force Protocol, which basically says at a certain age, based off your gender, these are the things that you should do to have a baseline year over year before you're 40, before you're 50, before you're 60, to make sure that you don't have to go in for urgent or episodic care. That we can understand if you have high cholesterol from your 20s to your 40s, that's your norm. We're not going to put you on a certain pill or regimen because we're going to monitor it, but we don't need to be shocked that you at 42 have high cholesterol because we have a baseline and a trend line to look at. One thing to me is like when you mention the word healthcare, like my eyes glaze over. I know. So I'm wondering when is the moment going to happen, for example, like when the finance banking business schwabified? In other words... When I could start trading stocks on my phone and with a simple, beautiful, elegant interface, mm-hmm. I was not intimidated by finances anymore. Yeah. And I feel like you, when you mentioned you know, the big list of services and whatever you, I mean, is part of the issue that healthcare, like, do you guys just have a design issue? So, yes. Healthcare in general has a design issue, which is why I went into healthcare. You mentioned my background before. I do not have a healthcare background before I came to, I went, I worked at a startup for two years before in healthcare, but we were really building orthotics, which is slightly different. Mm. I'm in a very managed care system, a traditional healthcare system. And I have personal reasons why I went into it, similar to kind of what you described. My father had major strokes when I was probably like three months out from interviewing for this job. Mm. And to your exact point, when I went to the hospital in Tennessee and they couldn't, first of all, tell me why this healthy individual who was in his late 50s, early 60s, was having major strokes and they couldn't stop them. They also couldn't give me the option. They wanted to do this shared agreement or shared decision-making process, which to me just releases them of liability. It doesn't help us understand this process. I couldn't, like, I, can't, I remember saying to his doctor, why is it much easier for me to pick a vacation on my phone and go there, you telling me exactly what's going on, what the medication will do, what the referral process is. Why is this so hard? Why Why is it more important in this world for me to buy a pair of jeans and have them shipped to me in 24 hours versus figuring out how to save my father's life? Right. So that was like, to your like exactly, Rob, why it is a design issue, but it's also a bureaucracy. It's also a legacy issue. Mm. And at EHE, to your point, we are constantly in this conundrum. We struggle. We don't struggle, but our job, why they hired me, why the PE group hired me is because we are trying to disrupt this legacy healthcare system by infusing basic consumer tactics and what we know to be true to drive behavior into it. Right. And that's a huge job. Like I am a C- I'm the CMO, but I do a little bit of operations, digital product reports to me specifically so that we could design historically in healthcare, the, the product that you're trying to schedule things on is so complicated. 
It makes no sense. It's not intuitive. It never has conditional logic in it. So that's why product reports to me, because we're developing a suite of tools and resources to one, engage in a way that people are used to being engaged, reducing the healthcare talk and healthcare speak, just talking like real people, Mm. doctors to real people, and then making sure we're constantly thinking about the user journey and moving them through the traditional marketing funnel, but making sure we're moving them in a way that's authentic to their needs, but has logic built in. It's behavior-based. So yes, it's a huge design issue in healthcare. I love that I can I learned a lot being here because prevention gives us a little bit more freedom than Mm. urban care, episodic care. But if you think about it, a lot of the things that happen in urgent care, I don't know if you've ever had a family member who had a suite of what we call care navigators to get them back into a stabilized place. That's essentially what everyone needs. And that's what we built here. For preventive care, we give you a suite of experts, depending on your goals, depending on where you are today. And then we give you a mobile way in which to stay in tune with your own health journey, which is having some advice from experts along the way. We don't oversell you, but we actually speak to you based off who we think you are. So we did some persona work and then what you tell us about what you need. We make it super simple because Sounds like DoorDash. I like yeah. It. It's like, <laughs> we like to always say like, you know, there's no reason why for me, it's like, I should know based off how you interact with us and what I already get from you. You know, we work with large employers, so we know exactly who you are from a demographic perspective. I should be able to look at the 100,000 patients we see a day, kind of do a lookalike model, and then predict if you're 34 working for a consulting firm, you're probably heavy stress because you travel all the time. And if you're a woman, you may be trying to figure out if you want to have a baby. So let mm. me start talking to you about fertilization options. Let me start talking to you about infertility. That's part of prevention. And so we, yeah, long story short, it's a design <laughs> issue. And that's why I'm here, to change how it's designed. I mean, it's it's just absolutely fascinating, especially when you draw parallels, as you mentioned, Joy, to buying the pair of jeans versus saving a loved one or your exactly. own life, right? And, and it's like, why even when you think about the parallels of advertising and, and marketing, we know so much about people that we're targeting from advertising. Like to use your example, a company making ads to target people that are looking for fertility treatments, <laughs> you know what I mean? Knows that that person is in the market for it, but your healthcare provider. Your healthcare <laughs> waits for you to tell, they take a very yeah. passive role. And I think at the end of the day, I hate to say this, but it's just laziness. It's really like, there's a system that's been built a hundred years ago. Healthcare is, you know, 120 years old. It was built and never did anyone optimize it. No one changed it. If you ever try to get anything down with a large health organization, which I'm not trying to say they're horrible, we partner with many of them, but they don't want to change. It's not in their best interest to change. The way they're compensated is to have this huge kind of bureaucracy. We are trying to cut through the clutter of that. And I think the numbers prove it, especially during COVID, the way that we were able to keep increase engagement. You know, we know that during COVID, visits reduced 14 to 20%, depending on what it is. When we saw like breast cancer screenings, they went down 23% during COVID across the board. That's like when you look at average claims. Right. But when you see our engagement numbers, our engagement, even though we were closed a quarter of the year, we saw a 15% lift in engagement. And that's not just because, oh, prevention is important. It's because to your earlier point, we figured out the way in which to speak to people to make it important so that they understood, yes, during this pandemic, looking at the fact that if you have high cholesterol or if you have diabetes, that you're more susceptible to COVID, 
if you don't know that, come in. Yeah. And then we give you the tools to reduce those factors without getting on any drugs. But then we also give you, at the time, a COVID test. And now okay. we're giving people COVID vaccines. It's, it's fascinating because even... I know that your team does also have data to support that you're actually improving clinical outcomes. Yeah. So in many cases, you are saving lives or at least sort of helping. helping We're helping. Yeah. We are definitely helping um, employers understand the connection between productivity and health. There's a huge connection there. And especially during COVID, at the beginning of June, we saw a lot of employers coming to us about how do we get people safely back into work. And so the yeah. shift was not just on the physical health, but the mental health. There was huge, mm -hmm. you know, anxiety around it. There was huge, you know, mothers, the numbers last month was Women's History Month. So we saw the numbers come out that 3 million women have left the workforce since COVID. Mm -hmm. They were dealing with heavy anxiety, heavy depression, these are some very ambitious women who made that decision. And so a lot of employers were coming to us saying, we want to retain women in the workforce. What can we do to support them? And so I found myself sometimes saying, let's design a program that actually supports them. Do you have supplemental childcare? Do you, what's your leave act look like? Can women go on sabbaticals? So even though we're a health company, we're an employer partner and we really do help. You know, my goal, I'm kind of nosy, so I want to know everything about the company. <laughs> where are all the warts and the and where are all of the places that we can actually again keep employees engaged in their health so they can be more productive. It's fun. I really do like it. <laughs> you know, you you mentioned kind of getting back into work and I, I love the angle in terms of especially looking at women having to make certain decisions yeah. of perhaps not going back to the workplace. And regardless, I think for anyone going back to work and being safe at work is kind of a big deal. It's, it's kind, kind of a big deal. deal. Kind of a big deal, you know. And, you know, obviously companies kind of big and small currently are sort of figuring out ways to make all of their employees feel comfortable, feel safe to go sort of back in the office as we're starting to sort of transition into whatever our new normal right. might end up being, right? And so I know that EHE Health has kind of developed a safe at work program. Just wondering, what is it? I think it's yeah. you know, a, a checklist. Give us a little bit more information about that and why you think that that will really help folks stay safe again as we get back into this new world. For sure. So we launched Safe at Work, I want to say around May of, of last year, just in full transparency. I'm in the office now. I've been coming to the office since the end of May of 2020. So we shut down in March for about five weeks administratively. Mm -hmm. Our clinic shut down for about three months. I personally, as a mom, I have a six-year-old work. Uh, she was learning from home. I couldn't do it. I really like, I, I couldn't be productive. We were, it was kind of like you said at the early part, Rob, this was like our Super Bowl. So I needed to be focused. <laughs> I need to come into the office. We had to figure out something wow. at home. I couldn't do it. And so out of that, I mean, sometimes the, we, in marketers, we don't want to self-reference, but that was kind of the best time to self-reference. What do we need? And so mm -hmm. Safe at Work was kind of birthed through the idea of that right now, this pandemic is asking us to make sure that we're safely traversing the world, navigating the world. For some of us, I'd have to go to work. A lot of employers, I mentioned Ben and Jerry's, they're one of, owned by Unilever is one of our customers. And one of the things they asked us early on was how do we keep our factory safe? 
How do we make sure that as people, because we needed to continue to support the economy in some way and people needed food. And at the time people needed ice cream. So how do we keep, you know, these factories safe? And so Safe at Work was kind of birthed from the idea of what is this, what does the science tell us? Luckily, our CEO is an epidemiologist. And so again, this was like, he lived his life for this. Is it, is it mm-hmm. Dr. Fauci or? Um, no, I wish. <laughs> Dr. Fauci was our CEO, I would Oh, I die. I love him. But um, actually, you wouldn't. You'd be alive. I'd be alive. But of course, I have like a thing for Italians. So I would love Dr. Fauci. No, our Dr. David Levy, he actually is our CEO. He actually helped with the Katrina crisis. He was, yeah. you know, and he's been the global, he was a global healthcare leader for PwC. So this is like, he knew this around January. We started planning mm-hmm. for the epidemic to happen. So we were prepared with testing. We had a testing partner. We acquired all the testing. And so we worked with our customers to say, if you're going to keep people in the workforce, mm-hmm. what should you do? What's the science? What's public health one-on-one testing okay. and contact tracing? And so Safe at Work starts at like, it's an evolution as, it, as the pandemic has basically evolved. Right now, what Safe at Work includes is a testing module for employers or patients who continually need to test. Up until yesterday, I was testing every week. I just got mm-hmm. my vaccine yesterday. So now I'm no longer going to be testing, but I continue and I come in the office, I continue to have an input into kind of our Safe at Work grid to make sure people, in, in case there's ever contact tracing, we can do it quickly. We just want to equip employers with a way in which to understand how public health works, because as a country, we've never ever really, we're not like Israel, we're not like any other country where they can quickly, they have all information on every citizen. So we tried to help the employers be able to navigate any issue quickly. Right now we're in the vaccination phase. So in some of our clinics, we are giving out vaccinations. We just started doing it in Chicago this week. Again, following the rules, making sure that we translate it for the patients, educating them on, you know, we get a lot of questions. Should I get Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson? First of all, it's not up to you. Second of all, take any that you can get. Like that's By what the way, third, third of all, we recommend Moderna. You do? I- client. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get, I, I, and I it's get the best. But I get both. what you're putting down, Rob. So, yes. You may not have a choice, but if you do, if you can choose, Moderna. Yes. There's some hesitancy on vaccination, which we acknowledge. So then we continue to talk about a testing protocol to keep that environment safe. And it's been really successful. I think it's basically led to how we've kept people coming in for their preventive exam. Right. We continue to educate them. We basically tried to make sure that they didn't have any false information around any part of the exam. You know, how can I get it? People were confused. Should I double mask? People were confused. So we constantly combine this one-to-one information with webinar series that we have once every two weeks, just around what should you know about COVID today? Something you mentioned, I just want to take you back. Yeah. Take us back with you. January, 2020. Yep. And you're doing your modeling. Yes. And you say, hey, this pandemic is coming maybe to a colleague, a few clients. What was that moment like? I'm going to actually take you back to November of 19. Okay, I'm with you. That's when our- Asha, come on. We're going back to November. Okay, wow, that was a good time. (laughs) That's when we were all out, no masks. What is this mask thing? Our CEO, again, epidemiologist, reads documents that I don't even know. And he said, you know what? I think the the pandemic is coming. Wow. What are you talking about? November 19. I was like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Pass the champagne. I was like, what is a pandemic? First of all, I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, we're getting some information out of Italy. And he was starting to say, you know, this is the track that from China to New York to Italy, wow. that's how the like the mm. fashion, that's the fashion track. That's what's happening. They stopped. So it's almost that. like a weather report. 
almost like a weather report. And he was just like, we need to start preparing. So we had an ops meeting immediately. And we started talking about how can we procure, at the time it was called SARS, the official name. He was like, we need to get, you know, some of those tests. And we got some, and we all started testing ourselves. Like we always like to try on ourselves first. And, and by the way, Joy, were you buying in or were you like, ugh, no, you know, eyes rolling? Like, no, whatever. I still have, look, I have a Lancet in my desk right now, just in case I need to just, but no, I was like, what are you talking about, dude? I don't, <laughs> what wow. are you, I went on vacation, came back in January and we started, I saw in our clinics, we started to overorder mask, um, sanit- uh, solution, uh, sanitizer, gloves, all these things. And I was like, what? I go, we're going crazy. And I was, I was talking to our CFO. I remember in January, I had a conversation with him saying, this is going to be crazy. We're going to have so much stuff for 10 years. We're going to, our SGNA is going to go down in three years because we're never going to have to buy anything. And he, we were laughing about it. I'm going to be very honest, Rob, even up to the day we shut the doors. So March, Mm. March, I think we left, I left March 19, 2020. My CEO, we had told people not to come in that week because we were like, we're probably going to shut down for two weeks. So my CEO, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for two weeks. And so a couple people came in. I came in to just grab some stuff that I needed for a week. I was like, we'll be back in two weeks. He gave me this huge bag. It had gloves, masks, sanitizer, and then like Pepsit. Because again, because you heard some earlier reports that Pepsit helped open up. Right. Right. So he wow. gave me, I was like, I don't need this. What are you talking about? I left it in my office and I left. We're in Rockefeller Center. I left. I think I went out to dinner. I was like, guys, let's go. We went to our favorite restaurant in Brooklyn. I was like, let's go have fun. Like, we're going to be off for two weeks. Everyone's freaking out. And then literally 72 hours later, I was like, no, we're not going back. I came into Rockefeller Center, got that bag, picked up some more wipes. And then I was like, let's, I took my family out of the city. We went to New Jersey for a couple of weeks because I was like, this is crazy. We stocked up on meat, toilet paper, everything. But in January, I thought, we were telling people in our webinars in January, February, don't wear a mask. It's not that just socially distance, be six feet apart. You don't need to wear a mask. Mm. And then within four weeks later, we were saying it's essential to have a mask, put a mask on, do, mm. like, stay home if you can, because the data, you so, we all remember that hockey stick, it went completely up. We had one death and then we had 2,000 mm. and then we had 10,000. It was like, we can't control it. And this whole time, I will say, it's not a plug for Dr. David Levy, but I will say what has kept me sane is having an epidemiologist that I can call and say, mm. what does this mean? What does this mean? I don't understand what this, what, what I just heard on, you know, CNN. I don't understand what's going on. Like, what does mm. this mean? And then he decided, let's do a webinar for all of our employees and all of our employers to just basically break it down. I know so much more about different, like the variance news that's coming up now. We're so, I wouldn't say we were relaxed. But we understand the science behind it. So we're fine. And we educate our employers on it. And we say, please make sure your employees understand, like, this is how variants work. Because as a country, we're not very, I would say, we're not very science focused. No. (laughs) This is all about data, numbers, and science. And once you know that, you can feel more comfortable following the rules, but still living your life. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, I think something that's fascinating is that you guys are your own guinea pigs, which I think is also another disruption, whether it's testing out early versions of the tests or even your, your safe at work program. I think that that's fascinating. And that's especially in, in the healthcare field. I think that that's very comforting to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We always, I mean, I personally never wanted to use a Lancet, but now, I mean, I just did one this morning because I wanted to check my cholesterol. <laughs> like, this is like the life we live now, you right. know, being able to have the data for yourself and be like, okay, I'm okay. Right. So we're going to pivot to uh, learn a little bit more about you, Joy, and, and pivot a little bit to your journey. So we have something in common, actually. You used to work in advertising, specifically at Ogilvy & Mather. I used to work there, too, uh, <laughs> right before I started at TVWA, which is awesome. So, I think I interviewed uh, to work at TVWA, but I didn't get hired. <laughs> we can make that happen, right? Listen, right? come right. on back, Joy. We're ready for you. Right? We're ready for you, right? We were not smart enough then. <laughs> you know, you also worked at uh, Condé Nast and, yes. and obviously in the publishing industry, really at a pivotal time when they were really bridging that divide between traditional print and their digital future, which I feel like has some parallels even to what you're doing now, you know, bringing the publishing industry into kind of modern day time. Also bringing healthcare into Into modern times. But tell us a little bit about that transition and kind of some of those differences between sort of being in that agency world to now being, you know, in C-suite leadership at a healthcare company. I will start off by saying like, I loved the time I spent in the agency world and I spent a long time. It was like 13, 14 years. I, first of all, I went to college to be a doctor. I went to Boston University to be a doctor. And then I'm, I had like every, my father's Jamaican, every, I think. Oh, my dad's Jamaican too. Every like Jamaican dad is like, you're going to be a doctor. Like, that's what you're going to do. Like every, I think any like immigrant parents, like you're going to be either a doctor or a lawyer, like, or a teacher. Those are the three jobs you can have. And so my. By the way, Jews, Jews too. Jews too. And so I just, you know, even in high school, I was always doing science things. And so Mm. I remember my freshman year after college, I was like, I don't want to do a lab anymore. And I went to the four A's and did an internship at this company called Ingalls that's no longer there, but it was an amazing agency. They had the, I worked on the TJ Maxx account and they had just Eagles, got Queen it. and Johnson. Yes. Of, of a exactly. moment. Exactly. Oh. And, Hashtag um, old. Yes. That tells us, that tells you how old we are. So. Hashtag seasoned. Seasoned yes, is the word we seasoned. like to use. Tenured. Um, <laughs> so I worked and I fell in love with advertising. I'm sure you guys mm. all have that moment where you're just like, wait, wait, I can yeah control behavior. I can work with these creatives, like advertising. I'm going to age myself. I graduated from college in 99. So this was like 97. It was like, everything was in one shop. You had strategy, creative, like you had, we were creating products for clients. They wouldn't have a product development team. We would tell them like, this is what you need to do. And I fell in love with that. I was like, this is for me. And I had to do some negotiation with my parents. I still, so a lot of people don't know, but I have a degree in biology. I use it now, but I never used it. But I went into marketing. I went into comms and I loved the different types of people at the table. I love that. And so I always tell people like, I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be in this job had I not had that training ground in the ad Yeah. Ad agencies produce the most creative minded people and creative, not just like artistically or drawing or words, but solutioning. Yeah. We think of, we learn really how to think like to attack the problem for four or five different ways. And we're not afraid to fail. 
that's what you learn in an agency. And so I always, even now, when I'm looking at entry-level people or mid-level people, I'm like, do you have any agency experience? Because I need to know that you can, like, I can throw anything at you and that you're not going to be paralyzed, that you will maybe for a second have to stop and think, but you're going to throw yourself in and try to figure it out. So that's my background. And I think working in in agency, you know, one of the first accounts I worked on was the legacy account at Arnold. Mm. That was like, totally a pivotal account in the country, the way that we got the account and then all the amazing, I mean, I never learned, I didn't know that I needed to get clearance as a 21 year old trying to like figure out how to get clearance on a network. We just had to figure it out. And my bosses didn't have time to teach me. So you, and this was again, pre-Google. So you were just calling people, talking to people. You had to learn how to kind of manage up and manage down, how to not be afraid. So again, I always say I wouldn't be, you know, right now I'm the only woman on my executive team. I'm the only person of color on my leadership team. That stuff doesn't bother me. I fight to get more people at the table for sure, but I'm never intimidated walking in partially because I was raised by a strong Jamaican man, but also because I think working in an ad agency, you just learn that sometimes you're going to be in front of the most senior client at the table and you didn't expect that. What are you going to do? You're going to crumble. You can't crumble. You got to come back to the agency with the goods, right? Like as the account person, you got to come back and be like, we got this, this, and this, and this, let's go. So that was my time. I loved it. I went, you guys probably, especially Rob, because of how long we both have been in it. You remember there was a shift. There was a time then things started to be parceled out. And I had worked both on general market and ethnic agency mm. environments. Yeah. And I found a true passion working within the African-American space, mm. the Latino-American space. But I also didn't like how the business was being presented to us. Yeah. And so it was kind of like a perfect storm. I was getting married. I had been in the business for a while. And I was like, I want to get back to the p- place where I felt like we were making decisions, where we right. were informing the business. And so I decided to kind of, make a shift into corporate, but this opportunity at Condé Nast came up and I think I romanticized it more (laughs) than it really was. You know, publishing's hard. It's essentially sales. That's essentially what it is. And I had a sweet like 18 months there where they let me kind of do what I, an expert at, which is you've been selling to me for over a decade. I can tell you what you need to be doing from a digital perspective, how, you know, there is some value in your print, but you need to start thinking like a business. You have 15 titles that do the same thing. How do you make one digital only? Like, and so it was more like business ops I was doing, which was great. And then I fell in love with the Epicurean team. And then over time it was like, do you want to work in sales? Do you want to work in sales? And I'm a marketer. I'm Mm -hmm. not a salesperson. I very much like the idea of how do we get here? Where do you want to go? Is this right for you? If it's not, my livelihood can't be based on commission. Like I can't work that way because then I'm working out of desperation and then the ideas are not as good. So for me, it was like, okay, this is run its course. What do I want to do? And that's how I got myself in corporate. And I really just found myself again, relying on the tools that I learned in the agency world, asking the right questions being creative. Again, you learn on the agencies that don't be afraid of your client. You're the expert. You're the subject matter expert on this. So mm. working with clients yeah. and then, you know, managing their personalities, but working with them, working with, we call them business partners to make them understand where we're trying to go. And then I found myself in healthcare and I love it. I don't think I'll ever leave healthcare, which is a huge, I mean, I worked on L'Oreal, America's Express, Grey I mean, I thought I would always be in beauty, but no, I love healthcare. Wow. I love healthcare. I've not seen that t-shirt anywhere. I'm going to make one. I'll send you one. Tell me. Please do. 
He's a size small in women. Okay. <laughs> I will take a double XL and I'm okay with it to shrink to fit. All right. Yes, yes. This, this dad bod does not happen by accident. About this, Rob. It's the COVID, this is COVID chicness that we're talking about. <laughs> oh my heavens. <laughs> Joy, you kind of touched a little bit on this, that you're the only woman of color on the leadership team at EHE Health. And, you know, I'm sure it's not the first time in your career that you've been sort of the, to quote, you know, the only you, you know, yeah. at, at the table. You know, I certainly know how that feels sometimes. You know, I, I'm curious to know throughout your career, kind of how this has impacted you, impacted your journey. And do you think that we will start to see more equal quality in corporate leadership moving forward. So I think I'll go in the reverse. So yes, of course, I do think we're going to see, I mean, we are already seeing it. Look at, you know, the appointment of, first of all, let's look at Issa Rae and her amazing like deal that she got with Warner Media. That is amazing, right? So then we look in the business world and we see all these amazing women who have been appointed CEOs of positions over the last year. My concern is let's make sure it's not a trend, right? Right. Let's make sure that in this moment of time where we're really focused on diversity and inclusivity, that we're not doing things, you know, I myself will say that I've gotten so many calls from people trying to recruit me to come in their executive team. And I, it's very transparent that this is a moment in time, that this is something they're trying to put on the books. And that's, I'm not doing that for my career or my life. So do I think it's changing? Do I think it's being more, is it becoming more equitable? A hundred percent. We have a lot more work to do though. We have to gain more allies across the table, both men, both other people that are not of color. We have to continue to have a commitment. I, you know, the question that I've asked all those companies that called me, it wasn't necessarily for a DEI role, but I've asked them, hey, where does DEI sit in your organization? Meaning who does it report to? Yeah. The person that's heading DEI, do they report to the CEO or the board? Who do they report to? When they tell me, oh, it's reporting into this function or this function, then that's not a place for me because it's not a priority. It's not embedded in their mission. If the DEI function isn't having a voice with the CEO or the board, this is just a trend that they're that they're riding. So I do think it's changing. I do think we have evidence of change, but we have to continue to focus on it. We can't let it just be this moment in time. Have I always been the only woman of color? I can't answer that for you because honestly, so I grew up in Tennessee where I was always, and I was a swimmer. I was, and I was a really good swimmer. I actually went to be on a swimming scholarship. So I was always surrounded by, I was always the only one. And so I think actually you can probably relate to this. There's this code switching that you do unconsciously to, I think, emotionally and mentally protect you. So I could have been the only person of color all the time, but in my mind, I didn't notice it that way. I didn't treat it that way because then you start to embody kind of the anxiety that it can bring to you. And I've tried to live up, I guess, to my name of joy and just be in the moment and try to figure out what can be helpful. My personality is I don't need a lot of friends, even though I'm this extrovert at work, I'm very introverted personally. So I usually have tried to find one person that I can connect with. And that's my go-to in business. I will say I've been super, super blessed because I've always had either a direct boss or someone at that level, what I call be kind of a, a rabbi. That's I've used that word many, many times to help they're in rooms sometimes that I'm not in and they can speak to who I am or what I'm contributing, but they also can help me navigate and understand things that I don't see. And I think that's essential for women, especially women of color in business. You have to find, it's more than a mentor. 
it's really someone who's been there before and it's a very platonic relationship there's there's nothing happening behind the scenes it's very much that this person has nothing really to gain they're probably five or six years away from retiring or leaving but they really can help you navigate what's happening that you don't even see because you haven't been there before. That has been super helpful for me. And it's unfortunately has mostly been men. I feel bad about that. I have had one amazing woman. I'll shout her out here, Kelly Williams, who I worked for for a small amount of time, but still is like a huge mentor to me. She taught me so much about how you can be a beautiful woman in business. You don't have to shrink, that you should walk tall. She's a very tall woman. I remember her hair was always flowing. Her nails were always done. And it's like, you don't have to forget that you're a woman just to be powerful and have a voice. So I've been lucky because I've had great support, but I do think it's really important to, as a community, as a country, that we don't lose sight of what we have to do next. Like it's not just enough of what we're doing right now. I definitely think, you know, having an advocate is really important. You call it a rabbi, I say an advocate, you know, (laughs) somebody who's going the extra mile for you sometimes. And I think that's definitely important. And I think one thing that is a benefit and helpful with some of the conversations that are happening now is some of those feelings of anxiety that, you know, I can relate to that you mentioned other people that are not the only in a room don't even know that that's happening behind the scenes. You know what I mean? So to even let people know, hey, it is a source of anxiety when I look around and I don't see anybody else that looks like me, right? When, When I'm having a conversation and people think I'm I'm arguing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, that's just like how it is. You know what I, mean? I, I will say the only place that I ever felt that was here. You know, I think the agency world, it definitely exists. And there's definitely, as you progress up, you get, it becomes more intense. But on the corporate side, I think it's happens immediately. And I came in the corporate side later. When I came to EHE Health, it was a completely different world. And to your point, I remember people saying, well, Joy, you know, when she speaks, she rolls her eyes. Um, They can't see that I roll, but we're going to have to I'm like, uh, yeah, I do roll. Or when she speaks, she looks up. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, this is, these, these things have nothing to do with my contribution. Like, honestly, if you're intimidated, that's you. I'm, I'm not intimidating. You're intimidated because of your own insecurities. Mm. And then when you do that, you sometimes people are like, she's abrasive. She's aggressive. No, I'm assertive. I'm exactly who you are. You just don't want to receive it from somebody who looks like me. And that is something about you, not me. Yeah. You know, on the other side, it is someone who is a rabbi to a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, no, it, Literally it's, and it's, figuratively. it's one of the best things you can do in your, in your, in your career and in your life. So, uh, yeah. those of you out there who, you know, are looking for mentors and those who can be mentors, yeah. I strongly suggest you, uh, connect. Yeah. So. And before you jump off, any advice? Um, any advice. The advice that we give right now is if you can get vaccinated, get vaccinated. Like don't, you know, it's really important for not only yourself, but for our country. We need to get the economy back as a New Yorker living here for two decades. It's very disheartening to go down the street, especially in areas like Soho, and see things are not returning back just simply because we can't get the economy back. So part of getting the economy back is getting vaccinated. Part of getting to new normal is being vaccinated. So this is not professional advice. This is just as a human, please get vaccinated as soon as you can. Get the jab, Moderna or otherwise. Just get Moderna's the, jab. the okay. best. 
<laughs> we like it. Well, listen, Joy, you have been a joy. You have lived up to uh, your name. So thank you. We uh, appreciate your energy. Now, before we say goodbye, uh, Asha and I chatted. We have to plug our Instagram page. Is that right, Asha? <laughs> what are we plugging yes. here? <laughs> follow the Disruptor Series. Yes, please follow. The Disruptor Series on, on Instagram now, on right? On Instagram, yes. At, at the Disruptor Series on Instagram. Follow us on LinkedIn. Just search for us. You'll find us. How about um, Twitter? Are we on Twitter? We're on Twitter. We're on Twitter. Disruptor <laughs> Series. <laughs> very good. Very good. Well, anyway, listen, Joy, you were uh, fantastic. And uh, we really yeah. appreciate having you on the show. I would say even more importantly, I think we really appreciate your crusade to not only disrupt healthcare, but to actually get it healthier. So uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I mean, I'm so honored. Like I said, a lot of my friends are jealous how we were able to get this on, but this has been amazing. And I really appreciate what you guys are doing and how you're bringing these stories to light so other people hopefully can walk away inspired in their own ways to do, to be disruptive. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.